Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. How many people love garage sales? Raise your hands up high. Our family loves garage sales. Our kids especially love garage sales. They take turns um, going into to different garage sales with us So, uh, we, as we make our rounds. Well, there's a story told. It was advertised that the devil was going to hold a sale for some of his tools. He was putting his, some of his tools up for sale. And so as the advertisements went out, um, the day came for the sale, and people showed up, they came, and they, they wanted to check out these tools, right, to see if they would be useful and, and a good price. So the devil had some of his tools laid out um, on, on the table and different tables and everything. And uh, some of these tools that the devil had were uh, jealousy. We all know that tool that the devil uses. And, of course, uh, doubt. The devil likes to place doubt in our minds. He also had uh, his tool of pride right here. This wasn't meant to be like the devil's pitchfork or anything like that. Of course, we got uh, lying right here too. It's another popular tool of the devil's. And just for fun, uh, the blower right here uh, the tool of hatred that, that the devil uses. So people were checking out these tools, and somebody noticed over off to the side there was a tool that was kind of hidden. It was a very innocent-looking tool. It was well-worn, but it didn't appear that the devil really wanted to sell that tool. And so Somebody came up, as most of you probably do at garage sales, you see something else that you want that's not out. You're like, hey, what's that? And, and you're asking about that. So someone asked him, you know, what, what is that tool over there? And he said, oh, well, let me let you in on something. See, here's the thing is not many people know that this tool belongs to me. That tool is called discouragement. And with discouragement, here's the thing about that tool. He's like, I'm honestly not even sure that I want to sell that tool. Because not many people know that it's my tool. And with that tool, I can get into people's hearts. I can break through into their minds and, and then place doubt in their mind. I can cause them to, to worry. I can cause them to be stressed out with that tool of discouragement. Well, the story goes that that tool was priced too high and the devil never sold that tool and he continues, as of course we know that he uses all these other tools, but he continues to use that tool of discouragement on God's people every day and in many and most situations. Of course, we all, the truth is that we all face discouragement and, and all for a variety of reasons. And I'm not going to try to guess as you come today why you might be carrying some discouragement along with you or what kind of discouragement you're going to face sometime in the future. 
Here's the thing, too, about discouragement. Sometimes, and this is kind of a trick of the enemy, sometimes we don't know why we're discouraged. Have you ever felt that way where you're just feeling down? You're feeling discouraged, and you're just wondering, why, God, why? Why do I feel this way? Even David in the Psalms, he said, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you discouraged? We think, why do I feel so down? Where is my joy? What happened? See, discouragement can zap our energy. It can deplete our joy. And maybe you've felt like this before when you've been discouraged, where you just, that feeling where you just want to go sleep. And you just want to turn everything else off and escape everything. And just hopefully that discouragement will just kind of fade into the background. You can wake up and be a new person. Well, the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, Jeremiah the prophet was discouraged. He was close to hitting rock bottom. He was God's prophet, and he had a pretty, pretty awful job, to be honest with you. He was to declare judgment upon God's people. He was called to, to be the bearer of bad news. And he also knew, he knew that he would live to see the day when Jerusalem would be invaded by the Babylonians. God even told him, he said, the people will not listen to you. Imagine being called by God and God saying, oh, by the way, the people, they're not going to listen to you. He was mocked and he was persecuted by the people even of his own village, by his own people. He was beaten. He was put into prison. And he just barely escaped the death sentence. And in this passage, we're going to look at today, Jeremiah 15. I invite you to turn there. Take out your Bible. Turn to Jeremiah 15. Here in this passage, Jeremiah has reached the deepest depths of discouragement. In fact, in verse 10 of chapter 15, this is how bad it got for Jeremiah. It says in verse 10, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. Reveals that Jeremiah, he's, he's questioning everything. He's ready to give it all up. But he comes and he pours himself out to God. He bears his soul before God. And that's what we're looking at today in Jeremiah 15. Starting at verse 15, it says, Jeremiah says, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake, I bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me. For you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, 
like waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Let's pray. God, these are your words. We pray that you would encourage us today. God, encourage us with your promises. Encourage us with your character. Encourage us with who you are. And I pray that you would strengthen our trust today as we seek to overcome discouragement, whether it's now or in the future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how does Jeremiah overcome discouragement? How do we overcome discouragement? Well, today I want to share with you specifically three steps to overcoming discouragement that we're going to see here in Jeremiah 15. Again, whether you're discouraged right now, and if you're not discouraged right now, there's probably going to come a day, it could be very soon, where you're just discouraged. You just don't feel like you're going anywhere. You just want to crawl in a hole like Jeremiah did. Well, the first step that we see is to be honest before God. Be honest before God. These first few verses that we read are really, it's a big rant. Jeremiah's going off on a rant. Jeremiah's laying it all out before God. And yet at the same time, he's turning to God for answers. In his suffering and his discouragement, he says, Lord, remember me and visit me. But he's also being very honest about how he feels. He tells God, he's basically saying, God, I did all the right things. He says, God, your people have abandoned you. They've rebelled against you. They've forsaken your commands. But me? Look at verse 16. Jeremiah says, for me, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Verse 17, he says, I did not sit in the company of revelers, meaning I didn't go off and join the parties. So that was good. I, I sat by myself and I didn't join them because I knew it was destructive. Verse 18, then he asks the big question that all of us ask. He asks, Why? Why? Why is my pain unceasing? Why is my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? I want to ask you a question. Is it okay to be honest before God? Is it okay to pour ourselves out to God before him? Is it okay? Is God willing? Is he willing to listen to our rants? Yes, he is. That's the beauty of our relationship with our Heavenly Father is that he hears us and he's willing to listen to us. It's important for us to cry out to the Lord, 
to make our feelings known to him. And it's okay to ask why. It's okay. It's all okay as long as it's done under the umbrella of trust in him. That's where we can cross the line. Is when we start to voice our distrust in him or to voice our doubt in him. Psalm 62, 8, which we just heard, says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. God is our refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is a safe place. Maybe you have a friend that you go to because that friend is safe. I've had someone told me before, you can tell me, I, I'm safe. And it's sometimes those people that you don't really want to tell anything to <laughs> if they're saying they're safe, right? But God is a safe refuge for us in our discouragement as we come and as we pour out our hearts to him. This week, um, I was, it doesn't matter where I was going or what I was doing, I was going just doing part of my job. I was, felt like I was doing the right thing. I was doing a good thing. I was driving somewhere and um, I missed my turn. I was supposed to have turned, uh, but I just barely missed it. And I, I kept going and realized that I had to turn around. And as I was turning my car around, I obviously apparently had run over a large screw and that screw went right into my tire and thankfully it did my tire didn't go flat the screw was in there good enough to where it retained the air so I kept driving and I could hear that something was in my tire you know you have your windows down and you hear the do 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 and uh, so I checked it out and sure enough there was a screw there in the tire Long story short, it all got taken care of. They were able to repair the tire. It only cost like 20 bucks. Some other place was trying to sell me, you know, all four new tires, of course. But I remember feeling as I was driving and just see that screw, and I was like, really, God? God, I'm just trying to do the right thing. (laughs) And that's just a tiny example of sometimes how we can feel before God. That, That example is nothing compared to what Jeremiah is facing. Maybe you feel that way. But it's okay. It's okay to come and to lament before God, even to pour out your complaint to the Lord. Psalm 141, 1 and 2 says that very thing. It says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. So I want to ask you, are you feeling like Jeremiah did? Are you feeling discouraged? Are you feeling abandoned by God in some way or in some area of your life? Are you feeling rejected by people even when you're trying to do the right thing? Is your soul feeling depleted of energy and encouragement, even when you're just trying to live the way that God wants you to live. It's okay to ask that big question. Why? Why, God? But here's the thing in our relationship with God. We might not always get an answer. 
We can come to him with that question, but we still trust. We trust his wisdom. We trust that he's good. And we can trust that he will meet us in our troubles. He will meet us in our discouragement. He will provide supernatural comfort and give strength, supernatural strength for each day to make it through. It's okay to be honest before God when you're discouraged or when life seems unfair. However, God doesn't want to leave us in that discouraged state. He does not want to leave us in a state of complaint. And while it's okay for us to vent before God and even to question God, you know what's not okay? It's not okay to doubt God. And that's the second step toward overcoming discouragement that we see here in Jeremiah 15 is to repent of your doubt. Repent of your doubt. In verse 18, we see in Jeremiah's example, this is where Jeremiah crosses the line. He crosses the line of complaint and lament and asking why. He crosses that line and steps into doubt. Verse 18, he asks God, Will you be to me like a deceitful brook? Like waters that fail? Maybe you've gone on a hike before and you're set out to go look for a waterfall. I've done this before. And, and you look up this hike ahead of time and you're excited to go. You see these pictures of this beautiful gushing waterfall. And then for whatever reason, when you go try to find that waterfall, either you just take, take a wrong turn or whatever, or you realize later that that picture of that waterfall was taken maybe in the winter months when there was a lot of rain <laughs> and there was a nice gushing flow of water over that waterfall. And then you go in the summer and you just find this dried up creek. That's what Jeremiah is wondering. God, is that what you're going to be like? God, you said that you're the fountain of living waters. We looked at this last week. In Jeremiah 2, you said you're the fountain of living waters. God, you've said, come to me, all who are thirsty. But God, I don't know if I can believe you. Are you going to be to me like a deceitful brook? Are you going to be to me like a dried up creek? God, are you really good? God, can I really trust you? And when we start to doubt who God is, and when we start to doubt what he's promised, that's when we've crossed the line. Our complaint turns into doubt. And then what happens? Our complaint turns into doubt. And then that doubt turns into fear. And fear starts to overwhelm us. And that's when discouragement sets in. The truth is that we all fall into doubt. We all fall into that sin of doubt. And I want to be clear that doubt and unbelief is sin. But God is there and ready to forgive us. As we come to him and as we repent of that doubt, yes, we utter our complaint before him and we question. But when we cross that line into doubt and mistrust, 
guess what? He's still there. There's no excuse for it. We come to him, we come back to him as our refuge, but then what we so often do is we speak right into his face. I don't trust you. And it grieves him. It grieves the heart of God. But we know that while God's heart is grieved at that, his heart is also full of compassion, full of loving kindness. And he invites us back. And he invited Jeremiah back. He invites each one of us back as we repent of our doubt, repent of our mistrust in him. Verse 19, this is where we see this theme of restoration that we've been looking at in Isaiah and Micah and now in Jeremiah. Verse 19, God tells Jeremiah, if you return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. You shall stand before me, God says. That's what God tells each one of us as we come to him. He says, if you return, I will receive you. I will restore you, and you'll stand before me. How do we stand before God? After we've failed him, after we've doubted him, it's because of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. That's the only way that we can stand before a holy God. As we come to him and as we repent of our doubt, repent of our failures, he receives us and he restores us and we can stand before him because as he looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus Christ, and he is pleased with us and we are fully restored. We are redeemed, forgiven sinners. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when we repent of our doubt, when we repent of our failures. So the first step is to be honest before God. The second step is to repent of your doubt. And the third and final step to overcoming discouraged is to be strengthened by God's promises. So often we can hear that, oh, but it should be strengthened in, in God's promises or God, remember what I've promised you? And sometimes we so often can say like, but, but God, tell me something new. <laughs> I've heard your promises before. Can you just comfort me differently in the moment? But God reminded Jeremiah of what he had already promised him and that his promises are still true. His promises still stand. And we're, when we are discouraged, we simply need to just go back to what God has already promised us. And what are some of these promises that each one of us can be strengthened by, that we can rest upon. Well, we see it in these words here that God spoke to Jeremiah. Jeremiah turns back to God, and really this is a personal example of restoration. The entire, remember, the entire nation of Israel was going to be judged, but 
they were going to turn back to God and they were going to be restored. This is part of Jeremiah's message. But this story took place in Jeremiah's life too. Jeremiah experienced this very same restoration with the Heavenly Father. But what are some of these promises that Jeremiah was strengthened by? And what are some of these promises that we can continue to be strengthened by that help us overcome discouragement? The first one is found in verse 20. Here it is. People will not prevail against us. And I have to say right now, there's, there's a lot of fear in our society and in our world about what people might do to us or what's maybe going on behind the scenes, behind the scenes of the political scene or behind the scenes of this health crisis that we're facing. Our fear largely has to do with our fear of what man will do to us. Maybe afraid of criticism if we stand up and do the right thing. We might be afraid of government control. Is maybe a certain leader out to get me? Is there someone behind the scenes devising an evil plan? Are certain businesses right now maybe capitalizing on this health crisis, maybe feeding into the fear? I don't know the answers to all those questions, but here's what I do know. I know that humans have been devising evil plans from the very beginning, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Human beings have been devising evil plans. But what does God say to us? Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who can be against us? We just sang that in that song. If our God is for us, who can stand against us? In Proverbs, it says it promises— this is the promise we can be strengthened by, is that the purpose of the Lord will prevail. The purpose of the Lord will stand. Every evil deed, every evil heart will be judged before God Almighty. And it's God. God's going to have the last word. And so the first promise we can be strengthened by is that people will not prevail against us. The second one, verse 20, we see, that he is with us. This is what God says to Jeremiah. He said, I am with you to save you and deliver you. It says the same to us. He is with us to save us and deliver us. Think of the example of David and Goliath. This is what David told Goliath as they are going into battle. He said, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. God's with us to save us and deliver us, and the battle belongs to him. He just simply uses us like he uses David and David's five small stones in that sling. The battle belongs to God. 
And it's God that would deliver him. More importantly, God saves us and delivers us spiritually. Colossians 1.13 sums it up this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's how God continues to save us and deliver us every day. And that's how ultimately he is going to save us out of this sinful and evil world as he has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, which we're living in right now as the church, God's kingdom here on earth. But we will ultimately experience perfectly in eternity. That's the kingdom that we are awaiting. That's the kingdom that God invites us to. The last promise that we can be strengthened by that God gave to Jeremiah, verse 21, says, He will redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. And he'll redeem us from the grasp of the ruthless. And what, what is this saying? He'll deliver you, it's saying he'll deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Sometimes we can read through these promises and think like, oh, well, I'm good to go. Nothing's going to happen to me. God's watching out for me. Nothing bad's going to happen. But he's saying, I'm going to deliver you out of the hand of the wicked. If the wicked already have a hand on someone or us in some way, or redeeming from the grasp of the ruthless, meaning that the ruthless might get a grasp on us at some point. Do we continue to experience evil, the effects of evil, the consequences of sin in our daily lives? Yes. It's saying that we will be the victim of wickedness from time to time because we live in an evil world. We live among ruthless people. We suffer from the consequences of sin. But the promise that God gives here is that he's going to deliver us from that evil. He'll redeem us from the grasp of a sinful, evil world. And he, this is where redemption comes in and restoration. He will use it for his glory and he will use it for our good. This is what God does. He takes our mess he takes the mess of the world and uses it all for his glory and to shape us, to shape us into steadfast, faithful, confident followers of Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer, my wish, as we think of these graduates here today, as they go out into the world. They step out into a dark world the dark world that all of us know and, and live in from day to day. There's a devotional that I've been leaning into a lot lately. It's called Streams in the Desert. It's an old devotional. It's a daily devotional. Great reflective readings and scripture passages. So profound. This was one excerpt that I came across this week. 
said, the present circumstance, which presses so hard against you, if you are surrendered to Christ, is the best shaped tool in the Father's hand to chisel you for eternity. Trust him then. Do not push away the instrument, lest you lose its work. It said, the school of suffering graduates scholars. I don't wish suffering upon the graduates today. I don't wish suffering upon my life or my family or any of you. But the reality is we face suffering And because of that, we can become discouraged. And the enemy wants to use that discouragement to get us down, to make us ineffective in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to use it just like he continues to use all these other tools. But here's the promise that we have, is that God has the final word. And God wants to use that tool of discouragement in an even greater way, to shape us and to form us and to make us into steadfast followers of Christ. Scholars, the school of suffering graduates scholars. God wants to use it. God wants to use whatever you're going through. God wants to use the, bring you out of that discouragement as you come before him and as you overcome it with these these promises from Jeremiah, but God also wants to use it in your life to shape you and transform you and to make you more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of redemption, that you take our failures, you take our mistakes, you even take our suffering and our pain, and sometimes even the ways that the wicked or the ruthless can have a grasp on us and you use it as a tool to shape us, transform. You use it for your glory and for our good. We stand upon that promise and we stand ultimately upon the promise that you are with us to save us. We thank you that you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved son. Help us to persevere in that kingdom here on earth and prepare us for that kingdom as we look forward to eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.